Ephesians chapter number 6, and uh, we'll be reading just a few verses this morning, uh, verse number 10 to verse number 18 of Ephesians chapter number 6, and uh, I want to just announce one more time, if you've not received the notes yet for this morning's message, they should be in your bulletin, but if you've not received them for any reason, just raise your hand, the ushers will uh, get those notes to you as soon as possible. So, Ephesians chapter number 6 there in your Bibles, and if uh, you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, that is okay. We have the verses usually on the screen, and you can follow along that way as well. Ephesians chapter number 6, and we'll be reading verse number 10 to verse number 18. And we're going to continue this morning our series on answering the call. And it's so important that as Christians, when God speaks to us, when God calls upon us, that we uh, not turn a blind eye or give a deaf ear, but truly answer God's call in our life and follow what God is leading us to do. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 10 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication, for all saints. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for allowing us to be in your house today. Father, I pray that as we study this passage in Ephesians chapter 6, I pray that your spirit would take control of our hearts and of our minds, help us to block out anything that would distract us this morning from hearing your message, from understanding your message, and from applying it into our lives. I pray, Father, that your spirit would Fill me this morning. Help me to communicate this message with clarity. Help me, Father, this morning to be able to uh, be just a vessel in your hands and and to be used by you to give a message that you would have all of us to understand and apply. Father, thank you so much once again. Bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, The story that I want to start out with is a story that, for most of us in here, is a story that is well known. I think almost every Texan knows this story, but I'm going to let you know about it either way. Uh, If you've already heard it, you can just follow along and remember the story. But uh, in the waning days of the battle for the Alamo, you'll remember that Santa Ana, the general for the Mexican army, had about uh, four to 6,000 soldiers that were coming up to the Alamo and they were doing battle to try to take back that land. And 
Uh, there in the Alamo, there was not a whole uh, huge army. In fact, there was a little bit over 150 men uh, in that Alamo, and, and they were there defending that. They were, they were fighting to, to try to get the Mexican forces to go back and to claim that territory for the Republic of Texas. And, and you know the story that William Travis was there in the, uh, in the Alamo, and and as he was there as the commanding officer, he received a letter from the general Santa Ana. And the letter there stated that uh, it was going to be either uh, surrender or die for them. They, they could surrender the Alamo there and, and everyone would be able to just retreat and go back home and, and uh, live their lives uh, to the fullest, I guess, away from the battle, away from the army, away from war. Or they could try to defend the Alamo and most assuredly die. The decision uh, that was before them was either stay, fight, and perhaps die, or retreat. The story and legend says that William Travis, that commanding officer, took, after reading that letter to his men, took his sword out and he drew a line there in the sand. And he said, all those that will stand here with me, that will stand and defend this Alamo, cross the line. And all of the men except one crossed the line. All of the men that did cross that line the very next day lost their life, taking a stand to fight against Santa Ana and his army. That story rang true as others heard of what the bravery and courage of those men were. And the rallying cry with the President Sam Houston of the Republic of Texas was, Remember the Alamo. And with a, uh, an army of 800 men against an army of 1,500, they began to fight and recover back once again the Alamo and drive the forces all the way back behind the Rio Grande River. And that is still the border today. Now, the story of that uh, bravery and courage of those men of the Alamo still inspire many Texans today. And let me just say that if they had not just made a stand today, uh, that day, if they would not have just said, uh, we're going to stay here and defend the Alamo at all costs, we're going to stand against this army, there's a good chance that most of us would not ever know the name William Travis or Davy Crockett or many of the other men there in the Alamo. But we remember them today because of the stand that they took on March 6th of 1836. You know, there comes a moment in every Christian's life where he must draw a line in the sand. There comes a moment in your life and in my life when, uh, as a person and as a Christian, we must decide that we're going to pay the price at all costs, that we're going to answer the call and stand. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Thou for, therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Can I say this morning that if you're a Christian, your responsibility, your duty is that you are a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ and God wants you and I to stand for him. But you ever thought perhaps, or maybe this thought has come uh, in your mind, what does it mean to stand? We know that clearly the Bible says that as Christians we are in the Lord's army, and clearly here, 
Paul writes to those Christians in Ephesus and he says, you ought to stand. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, we, we live in a day and age where for some people, standing for the Lord Jesus Christ is, you know, putting a verse on your Facebook or on your Twitter feed. And that is standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. For, for others, sometimes they, they believe that, that uh, taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ would be to take your Bible to work. And, and by taking my Bible to work, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and may I say those are perhaps some fruit of what it means to take a stand. And, and I'm thankful for every Christian that uses their Facebook uh, and their Twitter feed and their Instagram to, to bring glory to God and to, to bring the light of the gospel to others. I, I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for, for every Christian that takes their Bible to work and tries to be a good witness at work. But can I say that that is not entirely standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's not uh, the complete picture of what it means to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, while he is writing uh, to Christians here in Ephesus, he tells us what it means in verse 10 through the verse 18 of what it truly means to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. At this time, when Paul is writing this letter, Paul is a prisoner. And in fact, during that time, he was under what, what we would call house arrest. And the way that the Romans would do the house arrest, they would get a soldier and they would uh, put a cuff on the, uh, on, the, on the soldier with a chain that would go to the prisoner. And then they would also have him in cuffs. And wherever the, the soldier went, the, the prisoner had to go. And wherever the prisoner was going, that's where the soldier had to go. And, and that was basically house arrest. You couldn't go anywhere by yourself. And so Paul was someone that was very familiar with uh, the life of a soldier in the Roman army. He was, he was very familiar of what uh, they did, what kind of life they lived. And, and he was very familiar in, in the, uh, uh, the armor that they used. He was very familiar in the stand and the lifestyle that they had. And so upon seeing that, upon being around the, that soldier for so long, I believe by the inspiration of God, God gave him some insights to, to, to give to us and remind us that that we are also in a battle, that we are also soldiers, that there's a life that we ought to live that takes a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to study this passage with you and, and point out some truths about what it means to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse number 10, that Paul writes this. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The first thing that Paul speaks to us about making a stand and taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ is our source of strength. You see, we cannot expect to live the Christian life outside of the power of God. It would be self-defeating uh, for anyone to try to live a life that would honor and please God in your own power. We must understand that we must have God's strength in our life if we're going to have and take a real stand for God. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? First of all, it means having God's enabling power in our life. You see the first phrase there, be strong in the Lord. Uh, the word there, the Greek word is in dynamu, which speaks to the enabling power of God. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. There he uses that word 
in dynamu. It's the same word that we use in English to get dynamite. It's, it's supposed to be a powerful thing, but not just the explosion power, not just the sheer force of it, but what really that, uh, that word has the idea, it's the idea of enabling us. In other words, making it possible for you and I to live a life uh, that is a Christian life, to live a life where we take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul was reminding anyone that he could, could remind that, hey, if you're going to live the Christian life, you have to understand it's going to be outside of your power. Do you know that there are temptations in your life and my life that we're never going to overcome on our own? Do you know that there's attitudes in our life that need a change that we're never going to be able to change on our own? That's why Paul said, listen, if you're going to take a stand, if you're going to do what pleases God in your life, you have to understand you need to have someone else's power in your life. You're going to have to have God's enabling power in your life. I, uh, I, I brought this glove really quickly here to, to illustrate a little bit of what it means to have God's enabling power in our life. You see, uh, this glove on its own can do... Well, it can do nothing. It's, it's basically useless. It won't even move. If I lay it right here, there's really nothing that this glove can do. It's powerless. It's purposeless. It's useless. But if I, uh, if I take the glove and open it up a little bit, and I put my hand and place my hand to fill the glove, suddenly the glove can move. Suddenly the glove has purpose. Now, it would be a little bit ridiculous if I said, look, look what the glove did. It picked up the Bible. Everybody would say, no, pastor, you're picking up the Bible. But the glove is allowing me to do that. The glove is allowing me to have a purpose to do something. It's not possible for the glove to pick up the Bible on its own. But when my hand is in it, suddenly the glove can pick up the Bible. Now, here's the the reality of what Paul is saying. He's saying God's power, being strong in the Lord, is like saying, you know what, I'm just a glove. On my own, I can't really do anything. I'm, I'm purposeless, I'm useless. There's, there's really nothing that I can live in the Christian life on my own. But if God can somehow get in my life, if I can just let God have control of my life, there's nothing that I cannot do. Suddenly, God's power in my life allows me to do things that I could never, ever do on my own. So the Apostle Paul says this, if you're going to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to understand I need to have another source of power in my life. More than just positive thinking, more than just my own determined will, I need God's power in my life. He's the one that enables me to do things that I cannot do. But Paul says this, not only should we be strong in the Lord, in other words, have God's enabling power, but he says, but also... He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This speaks to God's unlimited resources. You see, the phrase there, he's not just trying to double up saying the same thing, right? That guy's strong and he's powerful. He's not trying to say two, use two words to say the same thing. He's trying to describe two different aspects of God's power in our life, of what God does and God's work in our life. You see, uh, that, that phrase there, the power of his might, speaks to the fact that God has an unlimited amount, an unlimited amount of resources to give. In other words, God can help you live the Christian life today 
He'll give you all the power you need. He'll fill up the whole glove and give you all the power you need. But you know what? He'll do it again the next day. And he'll do it again the next day. And he'll do it again the next day. See, being in the power of God's might is recognizing God has an unlimited resources. He can continue to do that and continue to do that and continue to do that. We don't have to live a life that is defeated. We don't have to have sin reigning in our mortal bodies, but we can have victory every day. Why? Because God's power is unlimited. God can help you do it every day, every day, every day. You know, Philippians 4.19, Paul wrote this, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Paul said this, You know what I've found in my life as I take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ? That he helps me in all situations. There's nothing that God cannot do for me in my life. Paul said every day, every need, God will supply. And as you take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, let me say that you're just going to have to start with understanding, I need God's power to do it. I need God's power in January to do it, but I also need it in February. And I also need it in March. You'll never arrive as a Christian, uh, you'll never arrive to a point in your life where you don't need God anymore, where you got it figured out, where you have enough power on your own to just live it out. God says, listen, uh, we, I need you to understand that if you just allow me to enable you, I can enable you time and time and time again. It's important as we take a stand for God, that means I need God's power in my life. But taking a stand is not only having God's power in my life, it's also putting on the armor. Look in verse number 11, what Paul writes. He says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. You know that every soldier that stands must put on the whole armor of God. It is irrational for us to believe that we can stand for God without any defense or armor. But you may ask, well, what is this armor that we have? What is this armor that God has provided for us to take a stand? Let me say, first of all, that it is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is our armor. There in your notes, you should have Romans chapter 13, verse number 14. When Paul was writing to the Christians in Rome, he wrote, but, uh, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So to the Christians at Rome, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Christians at Ephesus, he expands on that thought and says, in case somebody's not getting it, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the same as putting on the armor of God. The armor that God has given us is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the defense that we have against the wiles of the devil. You know, sometimes we get in the Christian life and we think, oh, our defense is how much we read. Our defense is how long we pray. And I think you ought to read the Bible long, and I think you ought to pray and spend time with God. But you know that your defense really relies and, and is firm and stays upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Power does not come from God, and defense and armory doesn't come from God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, people that try to get God's power apart from or, or away from the Lord Jesus Christ become very religious people. I have found that there is a lot of religious people that, that know how to go to church and they know how to talk the lingo and they know what to say and they know how to stand and they know how to dress and they know how to sing, but they don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in them. 
And they never really take a true stand for the Lord Jesus Christ because it is not him that is controlling their life. It's just the things that they think will bring a a great victory. And I say that Paul said, listen, the, the secret does not rely on how long you pray and how much of the Bible you read. The secret relies on how much of Jesus Christ you have in you. The real defense is Jesus Christ living within me and working within me. We find that our true defense is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is our truth, and He is our faith, and He is our shield, and He is our salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ is the armor that we wear. But let me just say, as we put on the armor of God, understanding that it is the Lord Jesus Christ, let me just say that it is our responsibility to do that. You see, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul writes here, put on. Any English teacher will tell you that's an action that you're doing. It requires a decision to be made. And can I say that when you decide to to put Jesus Christ uh, on as the armor of your life, then you have decided to have and live victory in your life. You see, what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ this week really depends on you. You see, God's desire is this. I want to fill your life. I want to enable you. But God does not grab your life and force his hand in. That's why Jesus says throughout all the New Testament, he says, he that hath it here, let him hear. And he that will come, let him come. Jesus is always inviting, if you just open your life to me, then, then, I'll come in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and sup with him. Jesus is all about getting in our lives. He's got the unlimited resources to do so, but he's waiting for you and me to ask him. He won't force himself upon you. Paul reminds us, if you're going to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, it requires you and me to put on the whole armor of God. It is our responsibility to say, God, you know what? I need you in my life. I need more of you in my life. I need you to have more control in my life. I need the courage that only you can give. I need the wisdom that only comes from you. I need the words to say that only you can give me to say. You see, we got to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, but we got to decide to do that. I like uh, the illustration that D.L. Moody once used as he was speaking to a a congregation and uh, he was trying to illustrate this fact. And and he said, listen, there's a, a, he didn't have a jar, he just had a a glass. And and he said, well, uh, what is the best way to get the air out of this glass? And uh, and someone quickly raised their hand. They said, if you just get a, a pump and seal it and, and pump out the air, then you can do that. And D.L. Moody said, well, you could, you could try doing that. The only thing is the pressure would create a vacuum and it would probably break the glass. He said, so that's probably not the best way. And then a few others gave their idea of how they could get the air out of the glass. And, and um, D.L. Moody said, well, it's probably a little more simple than that. He said, all you've got to do, and he walked down and he, he got a a pitcher of water and decided that he would show if you just get a pitcher of water and you pour it into this glass, he says, all of the air that's in there 
will be out. And you know, if you want to get your life to be something of having the armor of God, if you want to take a stand and be a Christian that makes a difference, that is a, a makes a difference, that is a light for the Lord Jesus Christ, then the way that you get out sin of your life is by pouring more of the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. It's by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ that we get the armor that we need to fight against the wiles of the devil. The Apostle Paul reminds us, listen, if you're going to take a stand, you've got to have power that's not your power. You need God's power in your life. If you're going to take a stand, you've got to put on the armor of God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. I need more of him in my life. I need to be more like Christ in my life, not less like Christ. But then, if you're going to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, you need thirdly to identify the enemy. Identify the enemy. You'll find that the Apostle Paul writes in verse number 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let me tell you that there, uh, what Paul is describing, and many scholars that are much more knowledgeable than me, say that there in that verse you'll find a hierarchy, like rankings. Just like we would have uh, lieutenants and generals and commanders and admirals and, and all these rankings in our army, uh, the Apostle Paul, and, uh, when he's writing here, seems to, to show that there are some rankings in the devil's army. There are those that are principalities, and then there are those that are powers, and then there are those that are rulers of the darkness of this world and, and spit, uh, spiritual wickedness that is in high places. It, it gives us a little bit of a ranking in, God's, uh, in, in the devil's army. Let me just say something about this in spiritual warfare, that the devil is organized. The devil is not looking to see what he can do alone. The devil also has his army. Just like God has called us to be soldiers of Lord Jesus Christ, and we are in God's army, let me just say that there is the devil, and he has his own army as well. And the devil's never happy with decisions of people that say, man, I want to do what is right. I want more of Jesus Christ in my life. I want more of God's power in my life. He is never happy with that. You know that the devil's always looking to destroy. The Bible says that the devil has come here to steal and to kill and to destroy. And the devil would like nothing more this morning than for you and I to not really take a real stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, but really to fold, to just have a fake kind of stand, to have a fake kind of Christian life, a fake kind of spiritual life. And the devil would like nothing more than to destroy your life and to mine. That is his mission. That is what uh, the devil wants today. He wants to bring down God's kingdom any way. He wants to bring down God's children any way he can. And he's got an army out there to do that. And let me just say that the spiritual life is uh, something that affects greatly the physical life. Let me say that what happened in Florida by a teenager... Let me tell you, he lost that spiritual battle long before he walked in there with a gun and started mowing people down. I believe that the devil and his army began to infect his mind and infect his life. Do you know that the devil and his army tries to put ideas on the TV screen to get in our minds? The devil tries to use the music of the world to try to get in our minds. 
You see, he's got spiritual wickedness and principalities and powers and rulers in this world that are trying to destroy you and me. And unless we take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll never defeat them. We'll never see victory in our life. If you read the story in Acts chapter 19, it's there in your notes. Starting verse 13, it tells a story about uh, this priest who, who saw that the Apostle Paul was exercising demons. He was, he was having control and power over demons. And these people thought, well, it must be in what the Apostle Paul is saying. It must be in the routine that he is doing. It must, it must be something that he's doing that is making it possible. Though. So let's just watch him, see what he's doing, and see if we can mimic it. And upon seeing what he was saying, upon seeing the form that, that Paul was using, and they, they noticed that every time the Paul was going to take out a demon, he'd say, I, I, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to get out of this person. And, and, and they saw that and they said, oh, that must be the secret. That, that must be the secret to, to having power over the demonic forces, to having victory in that spiritual realm. The Bible says that there are seven sons of this Jew named Sceva. He was one of the chief priests and they, they tried to mimic what Paul did. But you see, they didn't have the source of strength that Paul had. See, they didn't have the armor that Paul was wearing. They just thought, if I can just say this, I'll be okay. The Bible says that they began to adjure. They began to try to cast the evil spirit out. And here's what the evil spirit answered. He said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped onto them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You know, if you try to just play church and if you just try to play what you think everyone else wants you to do, you'll never have victory in your life. But the devil will have victory in your life. The devil will defeat you. His army will overcome you. Let me just say something about the devil's army. Not only is he organized... Not only does he want to destroy you with all that he's got, but let me tell you something. The devil's ruthless. The devil's ruthless. You'll notice there in verse number 12 that it says that uh, it, it says here, uh, I'm sorry, in verse number 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Uh, and then he says, uh, 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 In verse number 13, excuse me, in verse number 12 and in verse number 13, where he talks about the fiery darts of the devil. Do you know there, uh, I'm sorry, in, in, in verse number um, uh, 11, he talks about the wiles of the devil, the, the way that the devil is trying to. But then uh, in the verse number 16, he says, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. Do you know that the devil is ruthless in what he's trying to do? The devil is trying to destroy you and me. And the Bible says that he's not fighting us with Nerf guns. He's not fighting with just fake bullets. He's not fighting just with a little a bow and arrow that has like that, that little rubber thing that sticks to windows. The devil, the Bible says, is throwing fiery darts. And guess what? You and I are the target. There are many today that are playing church that are just going through the motions and not realizing that the devil is targeting you. The devil is trying to destroy you. The Bible says, listen, we got to take a stand against the devil. You see, the devil, the devil doesn't really care that you're in, at church this morning. 
That doesn't really scare the devil too much that you'll stand and sing when it's time to sing. It doesn't really scare the devil too much that you'll go back perhaps after this service and, and help in a class back there and teach. That doesn't scare the devil too much because the devil knows, listen, uh, just for the reason or the fact that you're teaching doesn't mean you have God's power in your life. The, devil, the devil's not there shaking with that. But as soon as you try to do what God has called you to do, as soon as you begin to work and, 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 and serve God with your life, uh, the devil begins to, to really narrow in his focus on you. He begins to target you a little bit harder, and he, and he begins to get those darts a little bit hotter and a little bit more fiery, and he wants to take you down. And if you and I don't take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil will annihilate us. The devil will destroy us. I want to illustrate this in Philemon. It's only one chapter, verse 23 and 24. Look what Paul wrote. As he's writing to his friend Philemon, he, he gives him what he needs to say. And, and at the end of his letter, he, he, wrote, he writes this. He says, There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. And then he says, And also Marcus and Aristarchus and Demas and Lucas, my fellow laborers. We find there that Paul is just saying, Listen, uh, I need to let you know, uh, Philemon, that I'm, I'm writing you this and, and, and I'm writing this letter, but those that are with me, that are traveling with me, those that are working with me on this missionary journey, like Marcus and Aristarchus and Demas, they're all here. They all say hi and just pray for us. They, they're helping me as we're planting churches, as we're serving God. But the very last letter that Paul wrote was 2 Timothy. And here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. He says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Do you know what happened to Demas? He got so caught up in working with, with, uh, with Paul and, and seeing what Paul was doing, I believe that Demas started just taking it a little bit for granted. I believe that, that, that Demas thought, well, this is what we do. We'll, we'll go to the, uh, the city of Thessalonica, and then we'll plant a church, and, and we'll see, and Paul will preach, and we'll help him, and we'll, we'll be the ones that are going to be the Sunday school teachers and the ushers, and we'll make sure that the church gets started, and then we'll go to another city, and then I'll help him there, and, and I'll be there with Paul, and if he has to go to prison, I'm going to stand with him. And, and then after a while, it just he, he lost the wonder of it. I believe he, he started to think, you know what, this, this, is, this is not that hard of a life. He started thinking, you know, I, I don't really need to pray that long about my, I mean, I, after all, I'm only teaching five-year-olds. I mean, how much prayer do I need? How much of God do I need to teach a, a five-year-old the story of Abraham? I believe Demas began to, to sort of let his guard down. He began to think, I, I don't need as much of Jesus Christ in my life as I did before. And I, I can sort of make it on my own in this thing called the Christian life. And before he knew it, a fiery dart hit him. And then another one hit him. And then another one hit him. And later in his life, we find that Demas had forsaken Paul. He told Paul, listen, this isn't worth it. Paul, Paul, don't you see what we're missing out on? By the way, the devil always try to remind you what you're missing out on. Teenagers always have the idea, why can't we do this, and why can't we do this, and why can't we do this, and there seems to be rules against this, and rules against that, and we never have any fun. And you know, that's a, a, a devilish thought that tells you, oh, you're missing out on the greatest things of life. That's one of the fiery darts that the, the devil likes to use. He likes to confuse us and make us feel like we're missing out on something.
Let me just say, I, I've never had a drop of alcohol in my life. I've never tasted not even one kind of drug. I have no idea how it feels to be high. I have no idea what it means or how it feels to be stoned. And let me tell you, I'm as happy as can be. I, I've never had to wake up the next day with a splitting headache because I drank too many beers the night before. I've never woken up very sore because I danced at a nightclub all night. Don't know how that feels. Don't care to know how that feels. Let me tell you something. I've never missed anything worth living in this life by doing what the devil wants. Can I encourage you, teenager? Can I encourage you, Christian? You're not missing out on anything when you live for God. You're not missing out on having power in your life and having God's blessing in your life. You're not missing out when you have more of Jesus Christ in your life. Taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ is the best thing anyone has ever done. Does it cost? Yeah, it costs. Do you you get fiery darts thrown at you? Yeah. Oh, but let me tell you, there's no better life than that. There's nothing else I'd rather stand for than to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you're going to take a stand, you need God's power in your life. You need more of Jesus in your life. You need to put on the armor of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to see what he sees. You need to feel what he feels. You need to hear what he hears. You need to love one another. You need to have compassion in your life. You need to get rid of that wrong attitude. You need to respect your parents. You need to love others. That's more of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. You need to identify what the enemy is trying to do. He's got an army out there and he's taking aim at us. Trying to put the wrong philosophy and the wrong music and the wrong kind of lifestyle in your life. If you're going to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to identify that. You're going to have to remind yourself about how good God is. Even in the times when it's difficult, even in the times when you're a prisoner and you're having to follow some Roman soldier everywhere, You've got to remind yourself, hey, the Lord's brought me here and I, I'm here to be a witness. It's amazing to me that Paul said, in whatever state I am, I have found to be content. You'll find that uh, with Roman soldiers many times, Paul was successful in leading them to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that he led this prisoner to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that if Paul would have lived a defeated life, if Paul would have said, well, this is about as far as I can stand, and I really can't go any further for the Lord Jesus Christ, that Roman soldier never, never would have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thank God that Paul said, you know, it's worth taking the stand. It's worth living different. It's worth being holy and having a holy life and having God as part of my life and being godly. It's just worth it. We need more Christians today that will just simply take a stand. Let me just finish with this. Taking a stand means to not retreat. To not go back. You see, sometimes we have this idea that to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ is simply defending something. In other words, it's sort of, sort of like if somebody wants to get this plant and I want to make a stand, I just, I just sort of get right here. And make sure that they don't get close to this plant. And I'm, I'm defending this plant, making sure nothing gets, gets close to it. I'm just, I'm just staying right here. But you know, the word stand there doesn't have the idea of just sort of just being here and protecting this plant like this. The idea what Paul is trying to communicate here when he says stand therefore in verse number 14 is to gain ground without going back. And gain some more ground and not going back. 
and gaining some more ground and not going back. You see, I can still protect this plant as I gain more ground. I can still do what God has asked me to do as I go forward in my life, gaining more and more ground for the Lord Jesus Christ. Standing doesn't just have the, 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 uh, the reality of saying, I'm just going to be as close here, not doing anything with my life. No, God says, I want you to go forward, just not going back. You need to conquer more land, not less. You see, that idea would have been easily understood by many that Paul was writing to because they had seen the Roman Empire. They had seen as that empire's army went and conquered more land and conquered more land and conquered more land. And then they would conquer the seas. And there was just something that they would move them forward to have more and more and bigger and bigger of an empire. It was the duty of a Roman soldier that if he was going to die, he would die with honor on the battlefield, but he would not retreat. And I say that you and I, if we're going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, it means we cannot retreat. It means we must move forward and not backward. It, mu- it means that we must gain more ground and not lose it once we've won it. Let me give you a few ideas on that. Number one, as you read verses uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, Paul encourages those Christians, first of all, to stand for truth. He said, have your loins girt about with truth. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our armor. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we know that Jesus Christ being that truth, if we can stand in that truth, then we can gain strength. That's what gives you strength to continue to stand and continue to move forward. It's when you just stand on things uh, of the truth that you're not going to budge on. I thank God today that we don't have to wonder next, uh, next Sunday if, if Pastor uh, Mendoza Noé is going to still be against sin. We, we don't have to wonder if, if Pastor Mendoza is going to have the idea of, well, well maybe, uh, uh, may, maybe this kind of lifestyle isn't so bad. Maybe, maybe it's okay to curse if you're angry. And, and maybe it's okay to, uh, to, to sort of wonder if Jesus was really born of a virgin. Or maybe it was just a young lady. And, and, uh, and, and maybe, uh, m- maybe getting saved isn't only through Jesus Christ. I thank God that we have a leadership in this church that says we're just going to stand on the truth of the word of God. Others might doubt it. Others might uh, laugh at it. Others might mock on it. But listen, we're just going to stand for truth here. It's it's important for us to understand today, if you're going to take a stand, you've got to stand for truth. Because listen, everything in our world wants to question truth. Everything in our world says, well, question authority. Everything in our world says, well, question the Bible. Who knows if it's true? And sadly, many church leaders today, many of them have gotten hit by the fiery darts of the devil and no longer want to stand for the truth. It's amazing to me, and I, I enjoy sometimes many podcasts of other Christian leaders, and, and there's one that, uh, that I listen to, and the man's, a, a, I believe, a Christian. I believe he's a man uh, that is very gifted in the area of leadership, and I, I like to listen to his podcast because I need to grow in my leadership, and I feel like uh, he's a help to me. But it's always interesting to me that on his podcast, because other people that are not Christian listen to him, he say, he'll always say, well, well, he said, I'm a spiritual leader, and, and I know a lot of you that are not, uh, uh, that are not out, uh, that are out there listening to me are, are not spiritual people. People, and maybe uh, you have a different faith, and, and I don't want to push my faith on you, but, but it's something that's really important to me. Now, 
I'm not advocating getting in people's face angrily and getting in people's face in a, in a way that would be rude. But let me just say that my purpose as a Christian is to push my beliefs onto you. It is to help you. In fact, the last thing that the Lord said to us was, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say, go ye into all the world and apologize if they don't like what they hear. He said, take a stand for what is right. I mean, do you believe that people without Jesus Christ are going to a crisis hell? If you believe that, why would you apologize for it? Unless there's something there that you don't believe. There's something there that you don't really want to take a stand for. I want to encourage you this morning, taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ means standing up for the truth of what the Word of God says. Not only are we to stand for truth, but we must stand with righteousness. The Bible says being clothed in Jesus' righteousness, we can be confident that though we may not always practice everything perfectly of God's Word, we can stand with righteousness and proclaim the truth of God's Word. In fact, I like what Lester Roloff used to say. Uh, he used to, used to say this all the time in his preaching. He says, I, I have not seen fit to take my preaching down to my practice, but rather I've tried to get my practice up to my preaching. You know, that's good advice. You know, everything I say up here from the pulpit, man, I, I'm not always the best at living at it. But I, I don't want to bring my preaching down and say, well, I'm not always perfect, so I'll just say that that's not wrong anymore. No. What needs to happen is that my life needs to be more like what my preaching is. It's got to be more about what God stands for in God's righteousness, not in my righteousness. Can I encourage you as you take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, stand for truth, stand with righteousness, stand in peace? Paul says, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Jesus, as our peace that he gives us, tells us you can stand firm with that. Even when the winds of change are blowing hard, you can stand firm in peace. Some people think that the answer is strife and contention or fear and anxiety. Can I say that the answer that we must have is an answer of peace? And that peace comes only to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought, we ought to stand in peace. We ought to stand by faith. Taking a stand for God is not always knowing how everything's going to turn out. I believe that the, the Apostle Paul didn't always know if he was going to get out of prison or not. The Apostle Paul wasn't always sure if he was going to go into a city and find success and find people that, that were going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, but that was not going to determine it whether he went or not. He knew that God had enabled him. He knew that God had called him. He had to put the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. He saw what the devil was doing in that city, and he said, hey, I'm going to go by faith, and I'm going to stand there in faith and give others what they need to have. I say that you ought to stand by faith when things get difficult, when it gets hard to sort of stand. I, I like what uh, he wrote in Galatians 2.20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life, he says, which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. You know what Paul thought? Paul said, you know, when it gets really hard to stand, and sometimes I don't know how it's going to be, and I know it's getting really difficult, he says, you know how, what makes me stand here? The faith that I have. Jesus Christ's faith in me helps me to understand I need to have faith in him. And I live by his faith, not by my faith. My faith is too weak. My faith will, will stop believing, but Jesus' faith in me, that I can live by.
Anyone that stands for the Lord Jesus Christ will stand by faith. And then you'll stand wisely. He says, in taking the helmet of salvation. You know that salvation affected more than just your destination. It affected more than just your heart. It also affected your head, your mind. We need to stand wisely. When we stand for God, it must be with a renewed mind. We ought to use our eyes to see what He sees and hear what He hears and stand where He stands. And then I say, lastly, that we ought to stand prayerfully. Prayerfully. There's no standing before God that will be as effective as one that has prayer behind it. Prayer is always what the devil fears most when we take a stand for God. You see, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. And Paul says, listen, as you take a stand for God, you ought to take one prayerfully. Someone has said, why is our walk with God sometimes a crawl with God? Why the lack of passion for our Savior who gave His all for us? Why the lack of victory over sin in the average Christian's life? Why the lack of power to shake His world for Christ? Well, as Billy Sunday would say, he that is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. We need more of God's help in our life. We need more communion with God. We need more prayer in our life. And I say this morning, today, we need more than ever Christians who will stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. We must not simply watch from the sideline, but as we draw the line in the sand, may God help us that with courage we'll cross that line and make a stand. And I say the, the call is clear. The question this week and the question this morning is, Will you stand? Will you stand? What does it mean? It means getting strength that's not our own. It means more of Jesus in my life. It means seeing what the devil's doing. And it means not retreating for the Lord and moving forward. Will you take a stand this morning? Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for your word. And Father, how we need more and more men and women Christians that will just take a stand for you. Oh, that it will be more than just Facebook Christianity. Oh, that it would be more than just lip service Christianity. More than religious Christianity. Oh, that it would be a relationship with God kind of Christianity. A Christianity that just takes a stand. That says, I'm not going to compromise and I'm not going to move. Father, I'm just going to stand here by your faith and on your truth and in your righteousness. And I'm just going to stand here and fight that army with your power. Fight those fiery darts and gain ground and not retreat. Oh, Father, that, I pray that that would be our attitude this week. That that would be our mindset, that that would be what describes our Christian life this morning. Help us, Father, always to stand firm and faithful for you. Father, speak to every heart this morning. May we apply that truth in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor. Really quick, right? I know I always say stand. I'm going to do something different because I always catch myself doing this. Like, you know.